Welcome to Leadership Backstage, a series of unique conversations with leaders about their role today and tomorrow. Hi, my name is Tricia Schroeder-Hohenwald. I am an executive coach, an organizational consultant, and the owner of DSH International HR. Another podcast about leadership, seriously? Yes, but somehow different. Over the years, I have been involved in lots of discussions about leadership. What it is, what it is not, what it will be, what it should be, and so on. But from my perspective, far too little open discussions have taken place with leaders about this subject. This is what I want to change here. I want to give leaders a voice, listen to what they say, and see what we can all learn from each other. And also, I have worked with many great leaders in the confidential space of our coaching sessions. But this time, it's not a conversation behind closed doors. The leaders here have accepted to share their thoughts openly, and I hope you will enjoy this backstage view on leadership. Thomas, welcome to this podcast, and I'm very happy to uh, to be able to talk to you from uh, Cologne to Singapore, where you are at the moment. Uh, thank you, thank you for taking the time to to talk to me. And uh, before we go any further and deepen the conversation about leadership, tell us about your role currently. So, what are you doing at the moment? Yeah, thank you, Drissia, for the introduction and the invitation. Happy to be here with you. So, um, yeah, I'm Thomas. I'm uh, working for Daimler Financial Services, which is the uh, captive finance arm of Daimler. Uh, I'm at the moment regional head for Southeast Asia, uh, which is 10 markets, plus uh, the non-mainland uh, markets of China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong, which we group along with Southeast Asia. As such, I lead the country managers, the country MDs in those uh, countries. Uh, and in addition, I'm actually responsible for sales and marketing and business development in the region, uh, which makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of the uh, growth coming from emerging market markets is to be expected from this region. Southeast Asia has 650 million people. It's sometimes worthwhile to recall that it's 30% bigger than Europe. Um, because in Europe we have a very Western focused uh, perspective I think and once you live here which I have been for three years and a little bit now uh, that perspective can change yeah yeah thank you very much for this introduction about the region where you are working at the moment Thomas you have been working as as a leader in many different countries and you have started with uh, with asia we'll come back to to the region and to the culture later where was your first leadership role let's start with your journey and then we'll talk about other topics yeah well okay the first so i i started at daimler i've been a daimler lifer uh, which I think is unusual in this day and age, but uh, I'm one of those rare species, I guess, still who haven't uh, changed companies yet, although uh, yeah, formerly company names, I mean, Daimler is a very big company, so I could change entities. But the first leadership indeed, after starting out the uh, management development program directly after, uh, after getting my MBA, um, uh, would have been uh, as head of uh, revenue controlling for Europe in the, in the car division of Daimler, 
that was in the in the early or mid '90s. Um, small team of four kind of specialist uh, managers. One of the key learnings from specialist to management, and and I, I hold that dear to my heart uh, very much so today, uh, is delegation. Uh, today I call it delegation and empowerment, which which is one of our many values. But this is the one that I really. Uh, that I really uh, like to follow the empowerment part, you know, giving people a sense and a purpose of why they're doing certain things and not just instructing them uh, to do things. Uh, but, you know, at the beginning, it's, it's the delegation and, and it is tough. I think the, the inclination is there. You know, you know the job. Um, just do it yourself. Uh, you know, it might be quicker than uh, walking across uh, the other side of the uh, corridor or whatever. And to explain it to somebody else takes more time. But of course, that's only the beginning, right? Uh, you do that in the beginning, maybe, maybe not. Four jobs, let's just stay with that example, you might still be able to do, but you're not going to be able to do 10 or 500 jobs uh, once you become a, a leader, right? So you have to learn early to delegate. And, and if anything, I think over the last 20, 25 years that I've been in business, that's become more important because the, the knowledge around is so much more, so much vaster, right? That you know less and less percentage-wise of the knowledge that exists in the world. So you have to rely on others uh, to support you. You have to work with the team uh, and you have to uh, uh, play ball, let's say. Mm. Now, you haven't only raised your scope of responsibilities of, with the years, but you have also added some international experience. I can remember when you were in France and when you were in UK and, mm -hmm. and now in Asia. So tell us a, a bit without going into every, every detail of every stage of your, of your career, but tell us what, what were the key learnings along the way in those different phases of, of your development? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so the first one uh, in terms of business was actually uh, the UK uh, in, in uh, 2000. I, I mean, I'd been in the US before studying, not working. Uh, one of the mistakes I think I made there in hindsight was assuming the UK was like the US. You know, it's kind of uh, same language, but there is that saying, two countries divided by the same language. And, and there's a lot of truth to that, not only literally, but figuratively, I think, uh, the culture, uh, including the business culture, is very different in the UK. Uh, so, in, you know, they are, uh, as geographically, sort of some way between mainland Europe and uh, and the US. And you see that in, um, uh, in in behavior as well, in business behavior. I think they are still more direct than the Americans, which we Germans are famous for, right? So in that sense, uh, it's similar, but they have a very, uh, let's say, in, indirect way of saying things. So they can be pretty critical, uh, let me put it that way, in a very nice way. And if you don't pick that up, if you don't have the senses for that, uh, you can really be misguided, right? Uh, so it's an interesting question. It sounds very positive, but uh, actually that means that's pretty, uh, it's pretty much rubbish what you're saying there. Um, so, so you have to pick that up. Can you remember an experience where you maybe understood too late what the message was? Uh, no, not specifically. I think I, uh, you know, I think I, I, I learned that pretty quickly um, because I'm somebody who, yeah, will generally ask uh, um, and and have a lot of conversations with the people around me. So, uh, you know, I, I I cannot now put my finger on it when I sort of started to pick up uh, uh, that maybe what was said wasn't exactly what was meant. But but you get told, yeah, right? You might, um, but. Uh, 
yeah, there is, um, there is potential for misunderstanding, especially as if you think you know the culture. And I, I you know, I, I didn't uh, do intercultural training there because I thought, which is offered generally by a group, right? But I thought, well, I've been in America, that's the same thing. So that may have been a mistake in hindsight. Uh, on the other hand, I did uh, benefit from uh, a, a program called Leadership Transition Coaching, uh, which I did take and which incorporated elements of that. And that was actually offered to me by the company. And I, and I think that's very valuable. And that's something that I've been, that I've been continuing ever since. So I have the same coach, which is a, a German English lady, so somebody born in Germany but living in England now for most part of her life, that was assigned to me, but that I've then taken along as a as a personal coach on my journey through various leadership uh, roles, and, and and this one was particularly challenging at that time. Uh, I think there have been additional challenges since, but you know, I was basically suddenly, uh, you know, my leadership responsibility went from four to fifty people. Obviously, not all direct, but indirect. So suddenly I had the element and I became group controller there, finance, financial controller, finance director, which is a combined accounting and controlling function in the UK and the Anglo-Saxon world. Uh, and suddenly you lead leaders, right? And you lead leaders differently than you lead regular staff. Uh, so that was the big step. How, how different? Well, I mean, you don't need to, they also have people that uh, work for them and that they work with and, and hopefully uh, interchange with so you know you don't give them uh, direct tasks uh, what to do hopefully you enable them to do their jobs as leaders yeah and 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 uh, so it becomes even less uh, relevant I think to assign specific tasks but rather to uh, to agree to come to an agreement and that's a process is over time uh, how you lead and 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 how you would like as a leader, your team to function. What are the values that are important to me? What is the purpose of work? And I think, uh, and, and you know, today I'm in, in a similar position. Uh, and there have been a few sort of changes in between. So always back and forth between that kind of role and maybe staff roles. But uh, today, I consider it one of my most important tasks, even though that doesn't necessarily always reflect in the time allocation, but to ensure that the right people are in the right job, right? Immediately, reporting to me and then also beyond. So if, if I say I lead managing directors that have a local management team, a local management board, I think for that level, I still also feel responsible to make sure that that team works and that they lead the country in a way that I would want it led without, you know, constantly discussing every single KPI because I don't think that's value adding. Mm -hmm. well, how would you describe you would want it to be led? Well, I, I think it comes back to the delegation and empowerment. So I personally uh, like to be led uh, and, and therefore lead in that way by uh, agreeing broad principle of principles of collaboration and then you know, relatively broad, a little bit more specific targets. So the classic management by objective, uh, that sounds maybe a bit lame, but, but jargony, but that is exactly what it is, right? And and. And when I say a few, I mean really five to six, which is kind of our guidance, which I think makes sense. That's what you can manage in a realistic time. There are some, some people then, I've seen that with colleagues and bosses, that will have six targets with six sub-targets each, which is, of course, cheating. 
with respect to the acceleration of innovation and the workplace is that we're moving into the direction of ro uh, rolling targets, right? So we don't talk about annual targets, you know, agree at the beginning of the year and finish at the end. And that was, or even those were reviewed once or twice a year and could be adjusted. It's often not done because of, uh, because of other priorities. But today we're talking about sort of, uh, we call it contributions, uh, but I think that's just the word. Uh, it's uh, a similar concept and, and, you know, we look at rolling, let's say four or five months cycles and then you adjust it, which, which I think is totally in line with the way the world and the markets and the customers develop, right? They don't start life on the 1st of January and end on the 31st of December. It's a, it's a continuous process. Mm -hmm. what, what did you take from your uh, time in France? You were also the leader of the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there. And I mean, in France was my first role as actually as managing director. So as CEO of the local financial service entity, uh, 200 people about. So quite, uh, quite another challenge, quite interesting. Great job, I think. Uh, I've, uh, and I have um, repeatedly had that experience, including the current job where I said, oh, that's the best job I ever had. So come back to France. Uh, you know, people... Um, Uh, people are, are saying generally in our organization, um, OMG do, MD job is not what it used to be anymore in terms of autonomy and self-determination because, of course, like many international companies, we live in a matrix now. So in addition to your direct reports, you have functional heads from headquarters or maybe regional offices uh, also wanting a say in the uh, decision what happens in the country. Of course, uh, we also all know, I think many people will relate to that, uh, the MD is always accountable. And, and there's a, that's an interesting distinction in the English language that doesn't exist in German, right? The difference between accountability and responsibility. I, I think, you know, when we talk about responsibility is often the, uh, the, the reporting line, but accountability is actually, you know, who, who, who sort of uh, stands up when the proverbial uh, mess hits the fan. So um, to come back, a small digression, to come back, that for me was uh, the best job ever at that time, you know, because you do lead a company, I mean, a responsible, or I was reporting to a board member who said, look, Thomas, um, you know, as long as things go well, just continue doing it. I, I won't have time for you. You know, I'm leading 25 countries in Europe. Um, so I'll do it by exception. If I want something, if I see a problem, I'll call you. Otherwise, you call me. Um, and that, that worked fine for me that, you know, when I talk about empowerment and delegation, that's exactly how I like it. So that's also why it was the greatest job. Um, what I learned in France was that there's actually, and, and, uh, and it was good preparation for Asia in that sense, quite a hierarchical, uh, uh, element in the organization and in the, in the general culture. And so people generally, at least historically, I think it's hopefully changing. And I, I sense that a bit in the two and a half years only that I was there. Um, people are waiting for guidance from above to follow, right? So there's not that element of, oh, I do uh, what I think is right. Uh, I sort of describe the situation and then I want uh, uh, my boss or my superiors to say uh, what to do. And, and, and that was pretty explicit. I had the opportunity to hire a sales and marketing director fairly early on, uh, who, of course, I, I kind of selected based on my value system and my 
leadership principles. So somebody who was also very uh, delegating and empowering. And, and, you know, he told me after six months, he gave me a report and he said, uh, it's really strange, you know, it's bizarre. People tell me I don't make decisions, but I do make decisions. I just want to hear. And, 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 and they had that out then in the open, right? Uh, uh, he said, no, I, I want to hear your ideas and your proposals. And then based on that, I decide. And he did. Uh, but it's interesting how it came across, right? It was quite a quite a change. And so we, we implemented uh, actually a culture change in that organization uh, over over the time where the next level down from the management board uh, was consciously brought into the decision making picture, right? Um, so I, I you know I started to have offsites with them, and that would would have been about twenty people or so, and and bring them into the picture. What's the strategy of the group, and therefore what's the strategy for France? to implement. Uh, and then we accompanied that by a leadership development program, um, which we labeled Yes, We Can, because uh, a lot of them, it, it emerged uh, over time to me, had never been taught to lead, right? And I, I, you cannot teach it as, a, as another discipline like math or physics, but you can, I'm deeply convinced of that, coach it, right? I always say leadership is a contact sport and the best athletes in the world have coaches. So there's nothing to be ashamed thereof. So as I said, I've been doing it for yeah. the better part of or close to 20 years. Uh, we then, uh, we then uh, did that and, um, and, and it became a different culture, right? They, they came out of themselves. Uh, not everybody could make the change. And then, you know, you have to discuss alternative routes as well. And we did that. Luckily, that was only uh, a limited number. Um, because again, uh, there was, uh, there, there, there was sort of, an attitude, well, I'll wait what the management decides and then I'll implement. And actually what my staff says to me, I will amplify to the top. And, and there was one time I remember when we had been on this journey for a while and we had such a discussion, I said, you know, in all humbleness, uh, I, I didn't do this aggressively at all. I said, look guys, at some point you've got to decide whether you're part of the management or part of the union, but you cannot be both. Uh, you know, you cannot just... Uh, amplify requests, demands, or whatever, and then uh, and then say, "Oh, I will escalate that to the top." You have to stand your own. You are part of the management, so you have to be able to answer some of these questions and answer them in the best way that you think uh, is possible. And that's why we are, uh, you know, informing you, sharing with you the company strategy, so that you can then uh, make your own uh, conclusions and act in the company's way, because you cannot control what any manager is going to say any particular moment in time to any of his staff. So there has to be uh, an understanding of uh, the broader picture. Do you have any information about how these culture change impacted the culture? So long term, I mean, because now you have left the organization. And do you have a, mm -hmm. any information about what happened after you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think such a change, fortunately, uh, cannot be turned back. But I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't uh, assume my successor would want to turn it back because it's also he's also somebody uh, a long-term, you know, Daimler person, Daimler Financial Services. We have this philosophy, uh, particularly of delegation empowerment, uh, of purpose, of uh, strategic understanding, and uh, and so. I, I'm pretty sure it continues. What I experienced in the two years, two and a half years that I was there is that 
another element of our, let's say, culture, which measures kind of staff uh, satisfaction, uh, uh, but also uh, what we would refer to as trust, I guess, uh, has uh, has improved enormously. So, so we are, and I think that's well, that's no secret uh, because for the last couple of years we have been in the great place to work uh, survey one of the top companies to work for I think the the top 10 uh, previous year I think was even top five uh, which is an enormous achievement um, for an organization which is actually part of a larger organization that doesn't participate in the survey but um, yeah we often when we looked at these things when you look at customers uh, sorry employee uh, satisfaction surveys um, that's only half the truth, right? Yes, there will be complaints about workspace. There will be complaints about uh, reward and remuneration and pay, of course. Uh, there's always, uh, there can never be enough or too much communication. Um, those will be there. You can do, some of them you can do limited uh, things about. Some of them uh, you can address. Communication, for instance, is, is, is relatively easy to address. It's uh, hard to remain consistently added. Uh, you know, when you cannot hear yourself say the same thing anymore, then it's just about enough, is the rule I've learned. Uh, but what in my view motivates people most is to understand, especially in the knowledge-based business, right? We're all talking about white-color workers here, is to understand what their role in the bigger picture is and why they're there. That the board implements the strategy, but, but it's gotta be implemented by, by each and every one at their space. And this is what motivates people, I find. And, uh, and not sort of one-time, let's say, great place to work days, which we've also had in the past, you know, big hooray and all this great event, uh, that, uh, you know, you lose the impact of that immediately. So, so what we saw is in the, in the time that I was there, really a doubling at that time from a very low level of the scores in, in, in France of our great place to work. And I'm convinced that was mostly the involvement of the uh, all staff in the way I described. Mm -hmm. now, now you have broadened your scope and changed continent. And, yes. Um, well, what was the very first thing that you wanted to do when you arrived? The very first thing. In, in, in Asia, you mean? In Asia, yes. Um, that, that, that might sound uh, strange now. I, I would have simultaneously said nothing, nothing in the, senses, in the sense that I wanted to listen first, uh, as in any job. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, to expand on that a bit uh, so that, that doesn't sound quite so shallow, is, as, I, as I've already said, I, I, you know, I do get coached in regular intervals. That doesn't mean every month, but, uh, you know, at certain occasions and definitely always since that first move to England uh, in, a, in a country change, right? Because uh, not only does the culture around one change, but also the leadership situation typically changes. And this leadership situation was uh, quite different again, because basically uh, I have no staff or very little support executive staff uh, at our regional head office in Singapore. All of my teams are in uh, the countries, right? In uh, in Thailand, in Malaysia, etc. Uh, so that's a very different leadership situation that I was aware of before. But of course, you never really know how it feels until you're there. 
Um, of course, my, my very nice predecessor organized meetings with all the staff and they came and gave me presentations about what's going on. And that's fine for the content. Of course, more importantly to me is building the relationships. But that starts there as well. And, uh, uh, but for that, I think you really uh, just need to listen and sense and, and try to let your antennas out. Um, of course, I'm acutely aware uh, that you know, whatever I do and say as the new leader uh, is amplified five times and looked at very closely. You know, how does he dress? How does he move? Who does he talk to? Um, who does he interact with? Who does he go to lunch with? Uh, so I, I, I try to uh, watch that and, and do that in, uh, in an acceptable way, let's say in a socially acceptable way. So within the first, uh, you know, within the first few months, then I, I basically took uh, all of the staff that was in, in Singapore, which was only about 10 or so, um, to, uh, to lunch individually to get to know them. Uh, and that was interesting, right? There was a, you learn a lot, uh, but also the feedback was, wow, you're totally different. Uh, you know, nobody has taken such a big interest in us before. Um, but like I said, I, I, I do get, uh, uh, I do get coached for that because you may or may not be aware of that at that moment. I think generally I'm now aware of some of these things, how closely I watch, but it's good to be reminded specifically beforehand and, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I always try not to do uh, too much in the sense of, oh, here I come and, and, you know, in the first day I have a strategic plan of where to take because I've looked at the numbers and, of course, everything is wrong. We got to do this differently. I think that's completely demotivating because I think uh, the team have done good work before and we were good, right? So this wasn't like an appointment of a, uh, uh, you know, turnaround specialist, which I'm not anyway. Uh, so you don't need to come in like a fire brigade and change everything that's there, right? Just, uh, I'd just rather come in as a, I don't know, as a co-driver and, uh, and learn the business and take them seriously. And I mean, that's the other thing. If you lead MDs, <laughs> these are typically, I always say, bloody good people. They are there uh, for a reason, I assume, right? My assumption is that all my predecessors haven't done stupid decisions, but rather have done very smart decisions. So... Uh, so why would I why would I come in and, and say you know I, I need to kill at least one or two people here just to make the point that that's not my style at all? Mm-hmm. Now you you were an expatriate. Mm-hmm. It means that you you were going to leave at some point, like mm-hmm. like your predecessors and like your successors. It says in the game and. Um, is it part of the Diamond Financial Services culture to bring all, all the time expatriates to these kind of positions? I, I think it's historically a, a bit of the culture, the company culture, as you said. So my predecessor, but also pre-predecessor, uh, uh, were expatriates. Uh, a lot of my colleagues are expatriates. I mean, we are here in a regional office, which is maybe a, a very particular scenario still, right? In, in a country organization, I think it's... A lot of times the CFO, but but often also the CEO that's there. But for instance, my successor in France now is a local Frenchman, uh, just as an example. Um, here, I don't know how it will be. Um, we generally have the philosophy to move people around a lot, which I think is very good and very helpful in the sense of 
heightening the level of understanding, especially between headquarters and satellites, right? And, and here we are in between, everybody has their own enemy, I guess. So to, to headquarters, we are regional. We feel like, uh, like the, uh, the decentral unit, of course, to the markets, we are headquarters. Uh, so it's also useful to become aware of that. What I think is good about, uh, about that system is that everybody gets to know the other side, right? And that, while not eliminating uh, frictions, uh, I think can significantly reduce them if you sit in your particular place and say, well, you know, on the other side, be it in headquarters, be it in the region, there's, you know, uh, there's not all idiots either, which is sometimes a bit the, uh, the perception. And you probably have heard the term of going native, which happens quite quickly, right? Once you're in a country, you are permanently surrounded by people who tell you what's not working at headquarters and latest after three months, you believe it as well. And so you need to keep a bit that uh, critical distance, I think, uh, by having your own experience in the area uh, in the other, on the other side. I mean, that's the main purpose of having experts, which are bloody expensive, I think, for any company to foster. So uh, that's the benefit. That's what you get, right? The, the, the cost is the investment. This is what you get. Uh, and so when I say expats or when you say expats, I don't mean it's all Germans. That's probably how it's historically been. Uh, I think at Daimler now for a long time, it's been very international. Uh, so what we call third country nationals, right? So uh, my sales marketing head was a lady uh, from India. Um, well, yeah, having lived in America, originally Indian. I now have all my country MDs being non-native or expats in that sense. But I, I'm very proud to say that they are all non-Germans. Uh, and not because Germans are bad, but I think... Uh, you know, we we are we want to be a very international company, so we so so you need that experience. So in Singapore, I have uh, well this Indian lady who actually uh, got promoted to that position. I, I've you know I've got a Thai uh, Thai in Taiwan and Malaysia. I've got an Australian in Hong Kong, etc. etc. So it's non German, but all none from the country that they are. And that creates an incredible team, I think, in the sense of sensitivity and awareness to other cultures and and that was uh, i always say to them and i'm proud of them and i say you know this is by design not by default right i, I did that on purpose and again I, I didn't actually throw anyone out uh, because they're all good but i rotated them and, and that was kind of a um a convincing uh, story that i had to tell because you know we're, we're all human and not everybody likes to move around and you know it's a hardship personally family wise in addition to work um but luckily, I was able to convince them of the business value and potentially, hopefully, the longer-term value for themselves. Uh, but that's not a that's not an, uh, an automatic uh, an automatism. Uh, especially Singaporeans, I can tell you, don't like to leave Singapore because it is quite convenient. Yeah, as I said, it's nice for me, and I can understand why. Mm. You you have moved a lot with your family. You were. Um talking about about this about moving around different countries what was according to you the the benefit and the price that you paid with the family to to move around like this yeah um well the prices i think the you know the social relationships that you always need to uh, re-establish and it takes at least in our experience having done this three times now and i've discussed it with my wife uh, it takes at least a year to become um, to come home, right? Uh, to, to, to come home. 
Uh, and then, like in France, when you're only in a country two years as a family, I was there two and a half uh, commuting half a year, uh, <laughs> it's really difficult because, uh, and actually it's too early, but that happens sometimes. Uh, I don't want to uh, paint a rosier picture than there is. Uh, actually, the timing is probably never right. It's either too early or too late. I've experienced both. We'll see how it works out here. Um, but there it was definitely too early because uh, as you need one year to settle down, that also means settling down in business, right? Because you cannot be fully effective if you're not settled down in your home environment. And, and you know, also getting to know the business in the country. Um, so uh, that then makes it the more so difficult. Even then, and, and I've always been back in Germany in home base, which I think is good in the sense of increasing the understanding between the different sides. It's good to go this uh, star-shaped formation, as I always say, right? Out and back in rather than orbit which is the people that never come back to the mothership uh, and after a certain time are also probably not reintegratable, as we say. Um, but uh, it, it also actually goes for Germany, right? Once you've been away for a while, um, you have a so-called reverse culture shock, right? The need to integrate back home. And for my kids, actually, the first uh, stay in Germany was, uh, was like an expat assignment because they were born or or came very little to the UK and then came back when they were around six years old uh, to Germany, which was a new country to them. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the hardship, I think. And it gets, from a child perspective, I think more difficult the older the children are, of course. So this one was, uh, this one was then probably the most challenging, this move. The benefit of, is, of course, on kind of is the flip side of that you become incredibly as a family open to, to change and, and also as individual members of the family, I think uh, they uh, have learned a lot. And as most people, I have children who are quite different in personality, extrovert, introvert. Uh, and so for the former, it's maybe easier for the latter. It's a bit more challenging, but even uh, they realize uh, that Funnily enough, I've had this discussion with my daughter uh, that it was beneficial for them in hindsight. Uh, uh, and I didn't try, to, uh, didn't try to convince them beforehand. You know, I just put the opportunity on the table, but you cannot talk children into liking this idea, right? Yeah. Uh, because before, so, so before I came here, I was three years in Germany and before that was the France episode. And we came back there and the children didn't like it, right? They would have actually wanted to stay in France because they had made friends there. That's the most important thing for feeling at home, I think. Mm. And they felt at home there and then didn't want to stay. I uh, didn't want to go. Uh, so then when we moved out again, they said, no, now we've really settled here. Uh, we don't want to. And, uh, you know, we just let it sink a bit and, and discuss it, of course. But I didn't try to tell them that it was going to be good for them for their long-term personal development, which I had experienced as a teenager and could see. But I think that's not something your parents can tell you. Well, my daughter, after two years, said, I, you know, I think that this uh, has helped me to grow personally, this experience. And she really liked it. And she did her school. She finished her school here. Uh, and, and that was very, well, first of all, nice of her to admit and, and, and very rewarding for me in hindsight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing also this personal side with us. I would like to invite you for the last part of, the, of this conversation to go back to your leadership role mm -hmm. and think about the future. You have talked about 
what you have done so far and the, your experience and your current situation. And lots of organizations are talking about how leadership is changing and you've talked about empowerment, but the, some organizations go even further without leaderships, without this organization as you have it now in your company with less and less people to report to and more and more collective intelligence and self-organized structures. Can you imagine that you are not necessary, not used anymore? So as a leader, you're not needed anymore someday? I, I, I can imagine that scenario, yes. I mean, I'm very much, uh, let's say, in tuned with, uh, uh, with uh, let's say, flat organization formats, uh, whatever you want to call them, liquid organization, distributed leadership, things like that. And we experiment with that. I, I feel very much at ease in such a situation, which I think for many of my peers, uh, especially age group as well, is a threatening scenario. Um, uh, yeah, but like I said, I've, uh, and again, you know, after so many years in business, obviously, and all sorts of personality profiles that you do over the years and, 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 you know, living with yourself and learning yourself, I, I, I know that I'm very comfortable living in ambivalent scenarios, which I've had to in project works that I've done where the outcome is not clear, where it's not clear, where you don't have actually any reporting lines formally and you have to lead by conviction, by motivating the teams who are often young teams, typically in such projects, um, to go along with you when you don't have any formal, uh, let's say, assessment power or anything, uh, you know, try to arrange it through feedbacks, etc. Uh, but it is a different leadership than being formally the managing director or the regional head uh, in an organization. Uh, but like I said, uh, we, you know, we, these things are coming up uh, in our organization as well as I'm sure in others. I sometimes say, I, uh, maybe I was, I was uh, 10 years too early in, uh, in, in, in management and leadership or in, well, in my, in my career stages, because, uh, I think what's coming is, is, uh, is more tuned in to my personal preferences of leading. And, 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 you know, from there, it's a small step. I haven't, I haven't thought it through in detail, but in principle, it's a small step to no leadership, uh, how that concretely could look. I haven't thought about it. You know, I, I guess you would still need some sort of uh, coordination mechanism, at least. Uh, otherwise, it becomes anarchy. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't draw my personal satisfaction and power from the position. I, I, I tend to... Uh, think and, and and I get that feedback uh, that you know I can convince through uh, arguments, personality, and you know people uh, work with me because ultimately they enjoy it. Um, and, and if not, you know you wouldn't want to do it. Um, I, I also think you know what what was the situation when I started 25 years ago when I first became a leader, maybe uh, 20 plus years ago that uh, you know knowledge is uh, power is not sustainable has maybe not been sustainable then but was very much prevalent then in what i saw you know and having a boss for instance who wanted to demonstrate his value in knowing more than me which was strange to me even at that time and i said well that's what i have staff for right they should progressively know more not vice versa otherwise that turns around the logic in the pyramid 
uh, with, I don't know the specific statistic, but the world's knowledge doubling every uh, five years or something like that, if I vaguely recall, uh, there, it is impossible to know everything, right? And you, you have to rely on others. So uh, one of the things, for instance, uh, I'm, I'm doing at the moment and I've pioneered here in the region, uh, I said I was uh, in charge of business development, right, is having assembled a uh, so-called swarm, again, you can call it a liquid organization, whatever, yeah. of volunteers to work on a market entry into one of the new markets that we aren't present yet in Southeast Asia. Um, so just randomly assembled people by the push-pull process, not a formal nomination process. There's actually no, there is actually no uh, special positions for it, no money. I just said we'll make ends meet. Whoever's interested, and you know, there are people from the country that work in Singapore that said, uh, "I want to be part of that." If you ever go there, uh, you know, have said for a long time. So I drew on them, and some of my colleagues brought some. It's largely a young team, meaning probably under mid thirties, because they're, I guess, drawn to that kind of work. And uh, and what I've seen in terms of performance and output has been incredible, right? And none of them is one hundred percent because they still have their day job. Uh, so I think they have dedicated officially 50% to the swarm. In reality, it's probably more like 80. Uh, and, uh, and, and what they have done and come up with is both in terms of investment and enthusiasm, incredible, and also in, in terms of output. So I'm quite convinced by these kinds of models. Where exactly that leads for leadership, I cannot say. But uh, definitely, I think, uh, and, and, and along that way, I think we are a good way ahead it, it needs to lead to redefinition of management and leadership and what what the role is um, and, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of change for us ahead in that sense um, yeah like I said I, I feel comfortable even though I I don't know exactly what will be coming but I feel uh, I feel at ease with uh, such ambivalence we're coming to the end of this conversation I have uh, one or two questions for you you have learned a lot, you have developed along the way. You talked about your mentors and the different steps in your career. What else would you like to learn? What else do you think, do you need to learn? Um, I, I don't look at it in that sense, in terms of, I, I want to gain particular skills, uh, but rather what experience do I still want to do? And then I would, uh, I guess, need to learn whatever is necessary for that. I've seen that the organization can provide quite a lot of opportunities, which has prevented me so far from seizing up any whatever offers there may have been outside, right? And I think anybody uh, looks at those from time to time. Uh, but basically, it's given me a multi-company uh, career within uh, the same organization. Uh, but what I also find fascinating, for instance, is HR, right? Uh, and I'm not at, at, at all, unlike you, an HR professional. Um, but I think HR, also in the context of what we've discussed about, is becoming more and more strategic function, right? It's not the administration of HR benefits, etc. that's important to me, and, and, and also not necessarily, although I do like recruitment and, uh, and development and mentoring, uh, not just that, uh, so that's the HR development type, but it is, I think, more than ever becoming a strategic business partner. And, uh, and it's crucial that it helps to prepare the organization for the challenges ahead that we discussed, right? Becoming, uh, becoming uh, uh, you know, uh, 
a modern organization uh, competing with uh, startups and fintechs in our business and making sure that the right talent is coming aboard to lead the company through the next 20 to 30 years. What, would be, what else would you want to say on the topic of leadership and what you've learned and what is important for you? Just to finish this call. I, I think I've partially at least or largely mentioned them. I think one of the things is uh, leadership is a contact sport. And so I am convinced that good leadership requires good followership so, or, or requires followership at all because without a team, you're not, you're not a leader, right? It, of course, also requires uh, leading yourself, first of all. Uh, so it's important to be at ease, I think, with yourself. With yourself. Um, it, you know, I, I think... It requires um, a lot of openness um, and sensitivity, if I can call it that. Uh, I think good leadership, more so than ever, benefits from emotional intelligence rather than technical intelligence, which again, I've, I've historically, through my journey, seen as the key driver of success and careers. Uh, and I'm not saying you can do without that, but I think actually I'm, I'm strongly convinced that uh, good leadership uh, is dependent on emotional intelligence and being able to tune into the staff. And uh, and then, you know, I, I, I very much thrive personally on teams, on teamwork. I, I cannot sit in my office and, and just... Um, do work all day. So I, I travel to the countries a lot, which I think is important to understand them because uh, the quality of communication is important. Uh, but I relish from the achievements of the team, right? Uh, and in a way, I would, I would dare to admit, uh, and, and some people I think are afraid of that, but I, I, I think I like to be liked as well. I think we all have that. Uh, uh, I think I do get along very well with my team that I have now. Uh, there's a lot of trust there both ways and, and, and that just makes it much easier to go also, also through difficult uh, situations, right? Of course, not everything is always rosy, but if you get along, it makes it much easier. And, you know, I don't have to constantly um, drill down in KPIs and, and make people uncomfortable. They, and that might be the particular team, but I think at a certain level you have that, they understand what the challenge is, right? Without a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about actually the, the barriers that we face together and how to, how to combine them. And, and again, my, my view of a leader is also, I've said a lot, I've talked a lot about coaching, being coached myself. I also see myself in the leadership role as a coach to the team, right? And I mean, again, if you think about professional sports teams, if you think about football teams, yeah, their boss in a way is the coach, right? And, uh, and, and so that's, I think, what motivates me in my daily work as well. Thank you so much for sharing your experience, for uh, the different aspects of uh, your, your experience culturally and, and professionally. So I wish you a lovely time in Singapore. We may see each other very soon or at some point when you come back to Germany. Uh, I look forward to it. And um, yeah, have a lovely day.
Thank you, Dresia. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, as uh, as I was talking, I think uh, it, it's it's also good sometimes to put these things into uh, more or less coherent words because uh, they are somewhere in the ether. But you know, I don't think about it consciously every day. So thanks for the opportunity to summarize them. And yeah, good luck uh, with the series. listening. That was another edition of Leadership Backstage. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and if you want to know more about me or have a conversation with me, you can get in touch via dsh-internationalhr.com.